So have you ever done one of those uh, DNA tests like uh, 23andMe? What did you find out? Anything interesting? Uh, would you be surprised to find out that the DNA from some of those tests are helping police solve crimes, especially cold cases? You might remember DNA helped arrest the so-called Golden State Killer in 2018, decades after the rapes of more than 50 women and the murder of 13. In Ontario, I think it was just last week, Toronto police announced they had identified and charged a man in the death of two women dating back about four decades. DNA used in a case here in Edmonton not too long ago as well. And so while experts in genetics and criminology say this is a really exciting time for DNA mining technology, hey, you know what, there has to be some safeguards in place. Nicole Navrosky is an assistant professor of forensic genetics at the University of Toronto. And Nicole joining me this afternoon. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Nicole, you know what? I remember um, kind of hearing about this the first time I mentioned the uh, Golden State Killer, that whole, um, you know, series or th that whole case that uh, wrapped up back in 2018. I remember watching, I think it was a Netflix documentary on this, and it really got me thinking. And I think it probably got a lot of people thinking about, you know, if they do one of these ancestry kind of DNA type tests, Oh, what else it could be used for? So can you give us an idea, first off, on, on how it works? Does all of that just go into a data bank somewhere? Yeah, so that's a really great question. So ultimately, when you do a 23andMe or an Ancestry.ca or .com test, what happens is you have the opportunity to download or export your own DNA profile. And so how the Golden State Killer case was solved was essentially everybody who had used these kits had downloaded their DNA profile and they voluntarily, um, through their own accord, uploaded their DNA profiles into these public databases such as GEDmatch. And it was through this public database search that they were able to solve the Golden State Killer case. So I do want to make clear that just like the 23andMe, they're not seeding into the database without people yeah. like voluntarily doing that. So but you, so you make that decision to do that. And oftentimes, I'm guessing here, because I haven't done it. I, I know people who have done it. So when you upload it or download it, whatever, you put it in there, I guess maybe in the hopes or the chance that you might find somebody else or a long lost relative? Yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of people are curious about their heritage or their genealogy or their ancestry in general, which is why there was such uh, a big uptake in utilizing these kits, right? We, we just wanted to learn more about ourselves and about our families and our background, whatever it, the circumstances may be. And then there was this additional feature where you could potentially make connections in these public databases. And so anybody who is generally interested in genealogy would go yeah. to these sites and upload their DNA in hopes of making those connections. And you know, from a standpoint of adopted children or, yeah. or families that, you know, people just didn't have all of the information. This was and has become a really, really vital tool for making those connections. So once it's into that public space, then it's kind of, you know, uh, free game for, for police to or investigators to look into on that? 
Yeah, so um, right now, if you look at the databases that are available, some are private, many are public. Mm -hmm. There is uh, an informed consent component right at the beginning before you upload your sample. And so individuals who are uploading their samples into these databases are checking the box that they are aware that police and other investigating agencies may be using these databases for searching for either cold cases or current active cases and so that knowledge is supposed to be there right on the front end so that people are aware of what they're consenting to and how their DNA may be used. But one of the great things about these databases is that at any given time, you can pull your sample out. Oh. You don't have to keep it in there. You can you can opt to take the sample out. And actually, right after the Golden State Killer case, because there were so many privacy and ethics concerns, everybody was essentially kicked out of the database and you had to opt back in. So everybody that is in the databases today should have provided informed consent, knowing well that the police may be using these databases for searching. You, you know, you talk about that informed consent, and, you know, as I said, I, I haven't done one of these, but, you know, we as humans are notorious to just sign off on, I agree, you know, you download whatever, you know, you get your new Apple iPhone, you're just like, I agree, because I don't want to go through all of this paperwork, that sort of thing. So I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, or I would hope that it's, you know, fairly obvious that that's what you're consenting to, opting in or opting out of on these things now. Yeah, so what's really interesting is if you go to the homepage of Jetmatch and and I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't looked at it in a few months. Okay. <laughs> but when I did last look at it, it was in big bold red okay. letters. So you're very very aware that the police are going to potentially be using these databases for investigative lead searches. So it's our hope um, as a forensic community that there is no misconception when the public chooses to put their DNA data into these databases, that, that the people who are choosing to put their samples in are, are well mm-hmm. aware of how the databases work, how they may be used, and what the outcome of the databases searches may be. Yeah, interesting stuff. Nicole Navroski joining me, Assistant Professor of Forensic Genetics at the University of Toronto. Nicole, have you ever done one of these and uploaded it? I have not. <laughs> um, I, I guess I, I've done my own DNA testing, yeah. you know, as a reference sample and all of the experiments that I do, but I guess the appeal there from a genealogical standpoint just hasn't been there for me. Um, But I am interested, and I do think that there is value, especially as we're seeing a lot of these missing persons or unidentified Mm -hmm. human remains cases being solved. So I think I was the one who even said that it was an exciting time for this field. Um, But I guess also, you know, that, that cautionary component of being well-versed in the informed consent and understanding both mm-hmm. the benefits and liabilities of that upload are really important. Yeah, no, yeah, that's uh, those are really, really great points there. But, you know, when you talk about it and, and seeing these advances or this, this, this ability to solve more cases now, to finally get an answer for some families, this is huge, isn't it? Yeah, I think this this new discipline or this new era of genetic genealogy really is going to provide a lot of closure, especially for those cases that happened before we used our traditional DNA typing methods. So remembering that DNA, like forensic DNA typing, really only came online in the late 1980s, early 1990s mm-hmm. in Canada. 
And what we're seeing is a lot of these cold cases that date pre-DNA being solved because of this technology. And that's very, very powerful. And, um, you know, just... It's such a great feeling to be able to close those cases after all of this time. And it is our goal as a forensics community to move into solving current cases with this same technology, but we're still figuring out our way in terms of the legislation, in terms of the policy, in terms of which uh, biological techniques are going to work best so that we can do so in a way that society is confident in the science that we're doing. I wonder if you're hamstrung a, a bit as well just on, you know, the you know who can afford, you know, the people who can afford to do this sort of thing, right? I mean, it's certainly not open for everybody because it can be quite pricey. Right. So initially, and um, you think about the use of 23andMe, Ancestry, those, those companies that are providing that additional data, what we're seeing now in this evolution of genetic genealogy is the ability for individuals to provide their sample free of cost. Huh. So certain companies, certain private companies that are doing or offering these genetic genealogical services will take your sample free of charge for use in their databases. Huh. But their databases aren't public the way that GEDmatch and other databases are. And so there is some there are some differences that exist across the databases being used for genetic genealogy but hopefully we hope to get to a point where you know we're all on the same page and inevitably there won't be a big cost if you think that your dna may assist in the solving of a case related to a family member or something of that nature but again having that consent component associated with you providing that DNA sample to whomever it may be. Nicole, you work in a in a fascinating area, and I think it's going to continue to uh, evolve and learn more. It's it's going to be it's going to be pretty amazing to watch over the coming uh, years ahead. Thank you for joining me on this Friday afternoon. I sure appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, and have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, you too. Nicole Navrosky joining me this afternoon again, an assistant professor of forensic genetics at the University of Toronto, and talking about that that use of that DNA, like 23andMe and, and that sort of stuff, in helping now solve crimes, and we're seeing it happen more and more. But the talk about making sure that there's that, that consent and that, that aware consent, right, that you have agreed to this.